Welcome Kanyech Rankin, who's a climber and a broadcaster. You might have seen him on the, the recent BBC Alapa show, Dana, Scotland's Wild Side. Uh, welcome, welcome to the Mountains Men Minds podcast. Thanks for having us, Ross. Good to speak to you. Good to be here. So for, for people that maybe don't know a bit about your background as a, a broadcaster and a climber, just kind of give us a bit of your, your background. I'm uh, from the west coast of Scotland, from Loch Alsh near Sky, and I'm a native Gaelic speaker. This is the programme is on BBC Alpha, it's almost entirely in Gaelic. Uh, and I also, I mean, I grew up in a very rural area uh, beside the sea in, in Loch Alsh, and I think it's always just kind of been the default to spend a lot of time outside. And... Yeah, I love I love being out in in the hills, like exploring like bits of Scotland that I don't know about, and and especially places I think that have a a, a relation to like Gaelic heritage. I, I really enjoy that, and um, I'm certainly drawn to places like Sutherland and and Lewis, uh, to name a couple, and Sky, where where they are kind of like Gaelic places, um, in a sense. And yeah, I do a fair bit of running and rock climbing. Around the hills and the water sports now and again, um, all sorts. But yeah, that's that's me. And tell me a bit about Dana Scotland's website. It's obviously now in its second series on BBC Alapa. And um, for people who maybe haven't had the chance to watch it, obviously we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about the recent episode where you you go to Isle of Skye up in the Cullen Ridge. But for for people who maybe haven't had the chance to watch it yet, um, what have you enjoyed most about about Scotland's website with with Dana? It's a program. So yeah, it's the second series, uh, which is which is amazing to say. Like, uh, because about yeah, a couple of years ago, it wasn't even commissioned the first series. Um, it is basically a, a series of adventures in Scotland. Um, by me, sometimes with a pal, especially for climbing. Um, and I think it's a. Uh, something that's maybe not completely apparent to to the viewer but like myself and the director Hamish McLeod um immensely talented uh, physiographer and director he's like one of my oldest friends who's also from from Sky and uh, it's, it's very much like a joint project between the two of us so we have been going out and yeah choosing places in Scotland that we want to explore and, and things that we think would be uh, interesting to people places that we think would be interesting, inspiring to people, because there's so many in Scotland and it's like, there's so much variation in Scotland. There's so many different ways to interact with the landscape. Um, we've not had, we've not been short of ideas, certainly. And uh, in this second series, yeah, we went to the Coolin and also Mingulay, which was a, a, a like completely life-affirming trip. And then Aaron and finished off in uh, Rona, north of Razi, which was maybe a little bit, uh, left field so uh, we went new routing there um, which was uh, yeah again just class <laughs> and the episode that I was I was watching recently was was when you went to the Isle of Sky as I, I mentioned there and you with your climbing partner I think you, you the original plan is to do a, an attempt on the, the fuel cooling ridge in the winter conditions but <laughs> Sky can obviously scrap <laughs> <laughs> a few plans that you have for, for things like that I know that myself but um, the footage of you you guys going up on to you, you do Skurang Gillian from the Western Ridge and then you head back and do Ambassador on the onto the 
bust your tooth and then you come down from there and kind of come back. What was that experience like of traversing those epic mountains and in, in winter conditions? Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty great to be honest. Um, it was it was cool. Like my my partner for that, um, Matt Glenn, he's uh, from Northern Ireland, and he had never really. That was we did a summer traverse a few couple of years ago, but hadn't really spent any time in the cooling in the winter. So it was cool just to, to bring him up to see that. But I, for me certainly, like the cooling is my is like my local hills. Like I grew up like looking across, you can see it from the house, and like Skurnagillion, it was maybe the second Monroe I ever did. Like my dad took me up, obviously in the summer, um, but when it's there and like at the start of the day, like the conditions just we didn't really win the conditions lottery. Uh, as you said, sky is incredibly fickle, being so close to the sea, so to get everything to line up for a for a perfect like bluebird traverse is, you know, you're asking for a lot, but. We made the best, I think, of what, what we had on that day. And, and just, oh, I mean, Schoonagillion is such a, an iconic peak. Uh, it's just, as, as a mountain, like with the, the three big ridges, like streaming down off it. And it's just, yeah, incredibly, like just the shape of it. It's inc- just an inspiring sight, anyway. And, uh, oh, you know, the crack, you don't really see that again on camera, but the crack as we went along with the, the crew is just uh, amazing as always as well. And yeah, what's what's it like? Obviously, you're out there with a not just yourself and your climbing partner, but as you said, there a crew of people as well out on pretty harsh conditions on on the cool and doing something pretty technically difficult. What is that like to to go out there and try and film with a crew like that? Um, it has its challenges. It's obviously uh, moving. There's six of us on on that shoot. Um, moving that group of people around the hills. Like obviously, if you're moving in the mountains, especially in the winter especially something like the Coolin Traverse, you want it to be quick, you want it to be like fast and light and try to be nimble. Uh, six people are less m- nimble, with the six people with cameras hanging off them are less nimble than than two. But um, we've got an amazing team. Like we've got a, a really close t- knit team actually. So it's myself and Hamish, we've been friends since we were like eight. Um, and then uh, our, our drone pilot, second cameraman is a former winter mountain guide uh so that's handy uh he can move pretty well and then we had two safety guys for that trip um john sanders and rich parker who are uh incredibly capable professionals but also just like they really get the really get the the project and and just like the you know as as, as the kids say these days like the vibes were are just like very very good uh so it, it works it's very easy it's they're very easy people to work with um and that makes the whole thing just much more fun. I think that affects the the output. You know, I think I certainly feel like presenting much more relaxed. Um, but just you know, you just like got an extra like ten percent happiness in attack when you're hanging out with your pals in the hills. So I think I hope that I think I get the feeling that that kind of comes across. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 a it's fun and it's great. Like we learn so much. I certainly feel like I learn so much being around all these people. Um, in the hills, so much experience. It's, yeah, real a real privilege. You described in in the in the, the video as being you were captivated by the difference um of winter climbing the cooling and the cooling as opposed to the summer. What what are the the main differences between summer climbing and winter climbing in the in the cooling or any mountain in Scotland? Oh, there's there's so much more to think about in the winter. The, the environment it just has this well not just one like several additional layers of complexity with snow and what the snow is doing 
um, underfoot. Like those days, it was actually uh, that day that we were in the snow. It was it was very powdery. Um, it looks amazing, but it's it's slow to move on and feels can feel pretty uh, can feel pretty wobbly in the crampons when it's like you know two inches of snow and then rock. You can't really see where, where the points are going. Um, and there was a little bit of uh, there had been a little bit of avalanche that didn't feature in the program. Avalanche activity uh, that you always have to be mindful of in uh, even in Scotland. Um, and it just that you know in the winter, it's the cold. It's, there's you just have to be so much better at looking after yourself. Um, the, the like just that you keep, you don't take your gloves off or you know and you, you have the right layers on and you don't stop unnecessarily. You need to eliminate as all the faff. As much fast as possible, which I I find extremely difficult because I love faffing, uh, <laughs> but um, and then you know the the navigation in the Coolin, it's a little bit different to a lot of places in Scotland because you can't really trust your compass. There's a big um, there's big magnetic interference from the the, the Gavro on on a compass, so you're not really taking bearings and and using the map and compass in the same way. Um, but it's still like navigationally challenging, and the consequences of like navigational mistakes are tend to be much higher in the winter. Um, so yeah, you need to you need to be on it and, and concentrate. But that's fun as well. If you if you kind of got the skills, that level of concentration, like it just makes it's adds to the, it's like flow, isn't it? You know, that's all I think a lot of people are chasing in the mountains. Like for some people, just having to like pay much more attention to crampons on rock. Uh, or, or you know, the, the added complexities. That's kind of satisfying to do that right. And all those challenges that you're you're talking about there with regards to, to winter climbing. And a quote from that episode: You said that I like to get out of my comfort zone and push myself to the limit and feel scared. Is that do you ever feel scared out on the on the cooling when you're climbing in the winter? And and what do you enjoy most about pushing yourself outside your your comfort zone? Yeah, I think like the times that you. Well, I can only speak for myself, obviously. Um, the times that I have pushed myself out of my comfort zone in in various ways, like in terms of like yeah, being scared uh, in various situations, because I think there's different flavors of fears in there. Um, you, I feel like I learn a lot about like my own mind and the way that the way that I I, I kind of work. Um, which is always really interesting. It's just it's interesting. Um, I'm fairly interested in in like a lot of like Buddhism med- meditation stuff. Just in terms of like the sort of thoughts about the mind, how the mind works, and how you you can go about looking at how your head works. Um, and and so, yeah, some of the stuff just about like learning to to be afraid or, or scared and like feel fear, but not let it completely overcome you. So. Trying to think of an example. Um, there was even times like there was one sort of technical pitch that we did in that day, and yeah, it's just a little bit of that sort of niggling fear, and it's like, oh, I'm quite a bit above the gear here. Like if I fell, it's not gonna be fun, but it is safe. You know that it's safe. You know objectively, but you're still feeling fear, and like to observe the fear, and then um, to to observe the fear, and then kind of just see that it's, it's a part of the experience that you're having but it doesn't need to be the defining one I think that's interesting and that has applications in in life um not to say that I'm like particularly good at like then applying that and just like not letting fear affect me ever but it's, it's interesting um 
and then coming out the other side, like being like shit scared on a sorry, I shouldn't swear. Uh, be, <laughs> being really afraid on a climb, and then even if it's safe, like I've had, there's countless times of that when you like you're technically safely, all the gear is in place, the gear is good. You just are afraid, and you don't want to fall. And then you get through at the top, and that like, like it's like euphoria. That release is uh, is cool. It's very fleeting, but that that's like a, it is a nice feeling um, too. Uh, and then there's like the comfort zone with, you know, if you talk about getting out of your comfort zone, just like trying big things that nec- not as, aren't necessarily scary. But if you're even just like, I mean, thinking of other days you've had in the cooling where you really go out and try and give yourself a beasting and try and do the half of the winter or whatever. And um, just like digging deep and, and like finding the rhythm where you can just keep going, keep going, keep going, is immensely satisfying too. And And I think that for me personally, that takes... I find that's like quite an easy way to get into a very clear frame of mind, um, which is nice as well. <laughs> yeah, and I find it's like very good for my mental health in general. It's like quite a good uh, tonic to a lot of like the stresses of life. Yeah, just on that, I guess with the mental health benefits of hill walking, not just for people with ill mental health, for example, but like poor mental health, if somebody's feeling a bit stressed, they're just kind of wanting to kind of calm a little bit. Do you think hill walking, climbing mountains is something that can benefit that? So definitely, definitely. I think if it's something that people are interested in, um, uh, yeah, for various reasons, I think like, I mean, exercise is like very basic stuff, isn't it? But exercise is good for our bodies, it's good for our brains. Um, and I think, like, again, speaking personally, thing like hill walking, like it's, it's quite even versus like running. Sometimes, like walking, like a big day of like even like a big bag, like eight nine hours of just like walking around some Munros. Sometimes that's like the the best. I think that's like the best. I, I like I feel the best afterwards. I feel it has the most like elastic impact, like on just like how I feel and my mood and and like sort of like getting working stuff out in my head. Um, and just like the the length of time that you're kind of forced to sit with your own thoughts. Um, for me, uh, it's not always comfortable. I, and I think like <laughs> so. I was talking to someone about this the other day, like. I think there's a, quite often a temptation I find like to distract myself from my thoughts if they're not nest, like particularly nice ones. So the way I tend to do that is like fire podcast past fire podcasts on or music, and that's like a bit of a distraction. But if I go out in the hills for nine hours and listen to music for most of the time, I don't feel as good at the end as if I go out and just done with my thoughts, which I'm not particularly qualified to analyze that in any depth. But I think just like sitting with the stuff for me and like with also there's like there's the exercise element there is uh, is good, but it's not always comfortable. And on top of that, like just being outside in in places that aren't I mean where of the word natural, it's a bit it's a bit loaded, isn't it? Or wild, that kind of thing. Um for what they actually mean, but places that aren't urban, <laughs> um, I think. I'm a big believer that like urban environments being the default for people, for humans 
as animals is not very, is, is like an active bad for for heads. I don't think that's a particularly controversial opinion. Um, and getting out and spending time in places that are, yeah, rural, I, like mountainous environments, which is like very I mean, natural. That's, that's an all right word, isn't it? Um, obviously, these landscapes are very affected by humans, but when you're surrounded by plants and rocks and not skyscrapers and, and motorways, I think there's a, yeah, there's a lot of benefit you can have for that. And, and like hill walking, it takes a it takes a long time, it takes a whole day. Um and I think, you know, in terms of like time spent outside, it's there's a lot to be said for that versus like going for a run for an hour in the park or whatever. Um for me, I think like some people, if you hate hill walking, you hate walking, it's probably not a great idea as well. Uh, I don't think it's like, it's not like a, it's going to be not going to be like a silver bullet for everybody. Because um, I definitely know people who like hate the idea of walking up a hill. Um, and I wouldn't want to force that or tell them that that's like the one thing that they should do. But, you know. but I think with hill walking, I think as opposed to when talking about if you're kind of contrasting, comparing walking, if you like flat walking, with going up a hill, I think there's so many aspects to hill walking. For example, it's a pretty simple objective. You're saying, I want to get to the top of that hill or that mountain, and then you come back down again. So it's a kind of clear objective, not so I'm, going to, I'm going to walk for five or 10 minutes or whatever. It's like, I'm going, to, I'm going to get to the top of that mountain. And when you get there, there's that payoff as well. You're getting, a, in most cases, a beautiful view on, on a landscape that you wouldn't have got from the ground, which is which is great. And obviously there's that, talking about it with obviously endorphins that releases as well from hill walking. But hill walking, I just love that objective going up you're doing a little bit of a different kind of fitness as well going uphill but yeah. it's like the fact that pay off at the top as well in most cases yeah totally yeah it's a very it's a very like it's a sim simple like easily defined objective um and yeah it's, it's cool like people i've got a bit of the, of this in maybe like the sort of ticking off thing it's very satisfying and, and there's like you know monroe bagging is the obvious the obvious example of like it's nice to like gradually see like the map on Monroe map or whatever, go green and as goes to red and like that sense of achievement is quite tangible there. Um yeah. And, and yeah, she don't endorphins, it's just like our bodies being like, this is good. <laughs> yeah, totally. And just on the continuation talking about mountains in Scotland in the in the programme you say it's no exaggeration to say that the Coolin Ridge there's no exaggeration to say the Coolin Ridge and Isla Sky is in a different league from any other mountain in the UK. So for anybody that hasn't had the chance either to go to Sky or go up and experience the Coolin Ridge, but maybe try other mountains or hills in Scotland or the UK or other parts of the world, how does the Coolin stand out in the way you've described? Um, I mean, I'm slightly, I am slightly biased. I'll admit that because it's like it's the hills you can see from the house, but but yeah, they're they're not particularly high. Like even like Skiralis, there's only quite like nine hundred eighty something. You should know that nine hundred eighty three. I want to say uh, meters, but um, they they're just like in the rock for one. So they're made made of like volcanic rock, which is gabbro and, and basil for the most part, and that doesn't really give much um, accommodation to like vegetation growing on it. So they're very rocky, um, like across across the whole of this range and you've got this beautiful well, it's, it's a whole it's a circle actually it's been kind of eroded by glaciation but the cone of this old volcano and on the west side of the cone there's this like 12 kilometer ridge which 
there's nothing else in in the UK that's like as continuously technical um in terms of scrambling or walking and uh, yeah I mean it's just it's so it's, it's an amazing environment because it rises straight up out of the sea you start in Glen Brittle you know you're on the beach and like there's the top of the mountain and you walk up and then especially in winter you know you can go from just like sitting at the beach to you know this completely alpine environment I think that's the key word it's like it's an alpine environment in a way that nothing else is in the UK there's you know over in Torridon or in Glencoe there's very cool mountains that do provide a bit of that but in sky you've just got it and it's concentrated and there's more of it in a, yeah in a, in a small concentrated space um, than anywhere else and the rock type it's just a joy like in summer you know yourself it's just the gabbro you put your foot on on a slab of gabbro it's not going anywhere which is, just makes it amazing for climbing and uh yeah it's i hope i've sold it enough there <laughs> uh, I guess on on the mainland as well. Obviously, you say you're from Lachalsh. Is there any other? Is there any other mountains that stand out? Obviously, you're talking about Scrunangillian on Sky. Is uh, there's no more beautiful mountain in Scotland, but on the on the mainland, is there is there a mountain that sticks out for you? I don't know. There are a lot. I there's a there's a whole bunch. I don't know. There's one like these hills in Assen. You know, a lot of these ones that aren't Monroe's, like Sullivan and uh, like. Canisp, Staff Polly, like I've had more fun on Staff Polly, which is tiny, than loads of Monroe's. It's just like so much character. I there's a lot of rock, a lot of stuff to scramble about on, and kind of be a bit creative with what line you choose. That's brilliant. But Benyalikin in Torridon, just a total joy. Like such a like satisfying like circuit. Um, I did, like ran that one evening this this summer and just. Ah, it's yeah, it, it's just it's great, really satisfying trips like that. And actually, Ben Allen, you've got that, I guess, that one well, I'm thinking picturesque, probably the most picturesque I can think of in terms of mountains in Scotland, apart from maybe on, on, on Chalik. But when you get to the top of obviously, you go over to Town the Grugi, you go up to Skurmore, the second one on Ben Allen, and you have yeah. that view looking down over the horns of Allen across to I think it's Ben Jerig and yeah, yeah, and on all that. It's just such a, an amazing place to. To, to go hiking or to go running yeah yeah it is it's just like it's like it, there's just so much like like visual stimulation you know you're like there's so many things to look at and uh and then like the actual like the rock is really nice to move on and um you've got nice ridges where you can kind of scarper along and feel like you're in, in the clouds um but then sometimes you know i've had cool days like i like lived in Glenmore for a while, you know, and we're like going to Cairngorms in the winter, like being up on the plateau and like a rough day that feels like you're on the moon in the winter. Just like, it's, it's a diff totally different experience, but there's a lot a lot to be said for that as well. That's like a cool, it's another, it's a really different environment, but it's still in Scotland. It's like, you know, it's like 100 miles away, <laughs> but it's completely different. Um, yeah, that's, that's what's so cool about Scotland. It's just like how, how con there's so much concentrated in such a small space, so much variation in, in landscape. And uh, yeah, it's kind of hard. Like, I, I'm really, people always ask, oh, would you like to go to like, would you like to travel abroad and like go to the Alps and stuff? And it's just like, you need to plan a lot to go to the Alps. But there's so many new like trips to go and do in Scotland. Uh, like, it's e like easy by comparison, like just logistically. Um, 
I don't know. That's, I didn't give you one minute there. So, <laughs> it's okay. so much to choose from in Scotland. There's so much to choose from. So um, something that struck me and I was speaking to you a little bit about before we started um, recording this about watching the, the, the programme, Dana Scotland's World Side and hearing you talk about the mountains, but obviously it's, it's on BBC Alpa, so it's in Gaelic and how much I enjoy hearing the Gaelic language and what are your thoughts on the, the future of the language and the importance the importance of, of, of Gaelic in, in Scottish life? Good question. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm, a na- well, I, I grew up speaking Gaelic. Uh, there's Gaelic in my family, going back a couple of generations. Um, I, I'm like a young person in Scotland. And I use Gaelic every day. I, I use Gaelic as much as I use English. Um, and that's not particularly typical for a lot of Gaelic speakers, but all, all my work that I do is, is a Gaelic. So I think that it, it's like, it's, it's a part of like Scott, it's a part of the, the makeup of Scotland, isn't it? Like Gaelic and it, it's in, it's in decline. There's no, there, well, there, there is maybe a bit of denying that that goes on, but like the, the, the bottom line is like, it's a it's my minority language. And like almost all minority languages around the world, it's it's nose diving in the into the ground in the face of like globalization and like the domination of English, um, or or you know the way in some countries it's like in Brazil it's Portuguese, uh, like or or Spanish, um, in, in other places, um, and that's like a fact that you have to you have to look that in the face and think well if that's true like. Oh, why? Why is it worth trying to save? Because you know it's. I'm not. I don't. I'm not a pessimist. I, I think it at all. But I think it's like it's worth realizing that, in, you know, in a hundred years, if there's like five, six thousand languages in the world right now that are spoken, there's going to be like half of that, maybe, probably less, are going to disappear. And the amount that's lost, in terms of cultural knowledge every time you know there's a fit like famous quote that every time a language is lost it's like dropping a bomb in the louvre probably i'd say i'd argue there's more lost culturally um and the losses to people you know it's quite easy to think like oh we need to save gaelic gaelic doesn't care and that's been maybe a bit overly frank about it but like or simplistic like the language doesn't care if it ceases to be spoken you know I think that's like there's a temptation to be a bit romantic about it, and like or, like whatever. It's the, the losses for people, and you see the loss. In, in you see the loss in the Highlands, like you see the loss in the Hebrides that that happens when people lose this language, which is this, has been at the centre of the culture of this place for a millennium more in some places, um, uh, and the loss of people is like that. That language, language is at the centre of culture. And you lose the medium in which you can like connect to your heritage in terms of the, the land and uh, like the, the memory, the cultural memory of the community, and that has like a tangible effect on people's people's mental health and um, like the richest people's lives. And I like I am a firm believer in, and I, I work for a company that uh, a lot of the time that uh, is like a Gaelic development company where it's young people doing outdoor activities. In Gaelic, and that's like one small part of helping people like speak Gaelic, giving people opportunity to speak Gaelic, and thereby have confidence in Gaelic as young people in, in their ability to speak. Um, 
I'm a firm believer in like the benefits of having like bilingualism, multilingualism, which is not very normal in the UK, but in the global context is the norm is to have multiple languages, like the benefits of that. Um, and also just like the, the, the benefits in terms of like connection to connection to community, like the people around you, like in the Hebrides where there's still, you know, a lot of Gaelic in the community, but tends to be like in with older people, um, younger generations are not for, for a multitude of reasons. Um, not least the fact that we were denied or not just denied education, but like told not to speak the language. Um, that has, there's trauma in that. There's like great intergenerational trauma uh, caused by like the act of suppress, uh, suppression of language. Um, but you see, you know, young people in in these communities where Gaelic is, like Gaelic gives them a way to like, be connected to the people around them. Um, and that's like a, fun, that's a fundamental good, being connected to people and to place. And I think that Gaelic is worth, is worth trying to save, save, I, I, the word the words are a little bit I feel it feels almost a little bit like naive to say save but to preserve like Gaelic for the generations that are here it's worth like giving people Gaelic language education because that gives them those people who are alive just now great benefits uh, yeah that was a bit of a ramble but I hope there's something <laughs> uh, uh, you sent me you sent me off on one there actually. <laughs> It's just, it's just, it's always, it's something that comes up a lot. Um, I've got an interest in politics, and it comes up quite a lot in, in politics and different people's views in, in Scotland around around the language. And um, it's just, it's just so fascinating to think how big a part is played and it plays in our, in Scottish culture and Scottish history. Like uh, I come from Fife, and um, I, I, and I obviously I'm well into hill walking, and with the Fife Hills, I got in touch with um, the Gaelic and Fife and. I was saying, I was saying to them, oh, it'd be great if maybe you could run some sort of competition for like school kids to come up with uh, maybe Gaelic names for the Fife Hills, and they mm -hmm. got back in touch and said, well, actually, you might not realise this, but the Fife Hills all derive from a Gaelic name, yeah. Gaelic, a Gaelic meaning, and actually, I guess up to I need to get a stat right, but I'm sure it's around eighty percent of place names in in Fife derive from Gaelic because at one point in in history, everybody everybody lived in Fife spoke Gaelic, they didn't speak English. Uh, so just this, but it was fascinating for me to learn that. But it was, it was quite cool because I realised there was that link to, to the language. But that will obviously be the case across huge parts of Scotland as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it belongs like in certain sense at least to to the entirety of the to the of the of to the entirety of Scotland. You know, you go down to like the, the border with England, and there's Gaelic place names. There's a couple on the other side of the border as well, uh, which is quite entertaining. Um, yeah, it is like it is everywhere. It's really interesting as well seeing like that like you're saying in Fife the the place names they, they get like you know, there's not been much Gaelic spoken at a community level in Fife for hundreds of years at least. So the names are all a bit cor corrupted, and that's interesting. Like as a Gaelic speaker looking at it, I wonder what that did mean, um, or like around Glasgow, like Ibrox, it comes from Gaelic, Avrech, uh, Govan, Balagoin. Oh yeah, it's it's interesting. It's endlessly interesting. Yeah, just with, I guess with the Fife Hills, there was just a few that looked at. It was like there's like Benarty Hill, which comes from like Ben Art, which means is it the High Hill, I think, from Gaelic. Yeah, yeah. And, like, say, and Knock Hill as well. I think it kind of comes from is it Gaelic for Knock? Because I say it, which means yeah. hill. 
Knock would be hell, so it's like hell, hell. Hell, hell, yeah, things like that. So it was just fascinating to learn that about, about Fife. Um, but um, last question, been a really interesting, fascinating interview with you, Rose. Really interesting guy. So um, thanks for your time. But one final question would just be for anybody that's who's maybe never got into hill walking before or started to maybe explore Scotland and the, and the great outdoors in, in Scotland, but is interested to, 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 to maybe try it, what would you say to them? Go for it, I guess. Yeah, like... I think um, that that it's just gonna it's gonna be loads of fun if you go in and uh, and in, interesting if you go and spend time outside Scotland and there's so much to see um, and there are a myriad of benefits uh, in doing that and I think like as well not to be too intimidated by. people like outdoorsy people i guess because i think that can be you know online um especially if you're looking online and like like forums and things like you can kind of feel like oh i don't have i don't have the knowledge to go and do this and certainly for for i guess from a safety point of view there's certain things like if you're going to go and like do monroe's in winter there's a lot of you that you build up to that but there's plenty you can do you can step out the door having never like gone uphill before you know there's so much to do and i think it's just like if it's not if you don't feel like it's like instantly accessible doing things by yourself like there are clubs and things um like hill walking clubs in loads of places like i didn't even realize that. i remember moving to glasgow and then like uh, people saying oh there's like a hill walking club here and there's like the there's this club goes to the climbing wall and yeah there's loads of people ask people questions as well just like it's great like never be afraid to ask questions that's a good thing for life anyway um just like things you can learn Perfect. And I suppose this last one is um, for anybody that wants to watch Dana Scotland's wild side to see you up the Coolin and other parts of Scotland. How can they do that? Uh, it is on the iPlayer, BBC iPlayer, uh, and I'm sure it'll be repeated on BBC Alpha in a couple of months. I think probably in a year, maybe in January. We'll see. Down there, but it's on the iPlayer. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. Great. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Cheers, Ross.